Monday. No, it's a Monday morning. That's right. Dude, and we, we had, had some, make mistakes on Monday. some mind-bending, mind-blowing stuff just on the show. That yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, stuff about the speed of light is just doing my head we were, completely in. We were sitting here trying to come up with solutions. We were like, oh, but what if you did this? And it's like, oh, but that's the speed of light. It's like, oh, but what if you did? Oh, no, that. I suspect that Lawson and I won't solve this scientific, philosophical conundrum anytime soon. Yeah, that's right. I tell you what, it does, you know, you see things like this and it does give you an insight into the mind of God. Mm. Wow. Okay, so we did have a uh, a rather mind-bending interview in that last one talking about the speed of light and Bruce has called through with some comments he would like to make in relationship to that. Bruce, welcome to the show. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, I was thinking about what he was saying, and, and the thing about it, we've got to look at the Bible. You know, the Bible is, is our textbook to know about God and how God works. And when we look at the creation in Genesis, when God made things, they were complete. Like Adam was a fully grown man. You know, he, did, he wasn't a baby and grew up. He was fully grown. He named the animals. Same with the trees. They were fully developed. Same with the animals. So everything God makes, it's complete. You know, and only in this world, I believe, do we see where we actually have the experience from Adam and Eve having babies, children, and grow up to become complete, you know, and, and that's the whole purpose of this, um, what's going on in the world and in this history is God's going to get children who are complete, but actually they experience God and how he works through their whole lifetime, you know, sure. and that's why we develop a character. So really, when you think of the universe, when God created it, it was complete. You know, the, the stars, we could see them, even though they're millions, billions and whatever that far away, he already brought the light. It was complete, as if it, you know, was millions of years old. And so that's the way I look at it. God makes it complete. Yeah, that's a um, that's a very good observation on Genesis chapter 1, in that you've taken a principle that we see here on our earth, and then you mm. just use exactly that same principle, apply it to the universe, and the problem is solved. Yeah. Yep. Bruce, thank you so much for calling through. We do appreciate what you've got to say. And if there is somebody else there, there that would like to jump on the show this morning and share some thoughts, you know what our number is, 0491 I think that was a really, really good observation like mm. by Bruce. I've never heard it put that way before. But, Bruce, I'm probably going to plagiarise that one. <laughs> probably going to use that one sometime when I'm having a discussion with somebody. I think it's a it was uh, really, move. really, that's the number one rule of evangelism right there. When you hear something good, use it. And that was something, that was a, that was a great comment. Okay, so what have we got for text messages? Oh, let's see here. They are coming through um, left, right and centre. So let me see here. Let's see, we had... Uh, Okay, all right, here we go. This one's from Braden. He says uh, this will be in relationship to the discussion we had earlier about how everybody is so divided right now, Mm. and I'm seeing good friends that aren't talking to each other, and I'm talking about friends that have been lifetime friends who in the last week have stopped talking to each other over the issue of COVID because one is pro-vax and one is anti-vax. Christian friends. That's a tragedy. Yeah. We need to we need to learn to respect each other, and we need to learn to say, "Okay, um, I respect your position. I've heard enough. Let's talk about other subjects." Mm. You know, because there is more to talk about than COVID and vax. All right, uh, he says, "I guess this is what the devil wanted us to do—to be divided against each other." Mm. Dude, a one. It's yep. like 
Read read First Corinthians. Like the whole this, book this is, is about that. This is becoming the biggest sign of the times. Mm. You know, this whole COVID thing is definitely a sign of the times, and uh, you know the way that it is being used in our world is very much a sign of the times. But probably the biggest one is how it's creating hatred. Yeah, well, Matthew 24, I think it would be around verse 9 or 9, 10, 11 or so. The love of many shall grow cold. Yeah, that's right. Many will be offended and, yeah, wow. There was Oof. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, the nations were angry. Oof. Okay, uh, somebody else texted through this one. This was an interesting one in relationship to COVID. Let nature take its course. No hospitalizations for COVID cases. No lockdown. Survival of the fittest. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know if that's nature taking its course or neglect, but you know. well, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting thought because if you take it purely from a uh, evolutionary perspective, then uh, this would actually be a very moral good thing to do. Yeah, particularly because like- you would you would you would weed out all of the weaker people on the planet with a virus, the survival of the fittest. We would come out with less people, but a stronger genome. That would be a very moral thing to do. That's right. And, and and a lot of people are talking about, you know, overpopulation at the moment. And so okay. <laughs> that's, that's intense. No, this is a pretty intense. That's technique. so intense. <laughs> uh, do appreciate it, though. Uh, love you guys pitching in here. Um, all right. Where are we up to? Do, 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 do. Okay. Oh, there's another one on vaccines. Totally agree with your statements. There's been a great division in families and friends and neighbors. Mm. Wow. The bottom line is respect for one another. Mm. Absolutely. And understanding. Respect creates understanding of when you've said enough. Yeah, that's right. You know? And I think for people who have a particular burden to push their point of view, the opportunity to do so is never going to disappear, you know, as far as, you know, your social media and so forth. Um, but we need to respect when an individual has had enough, when we're, when we're talking to somebody directly, when they've had enough. We need to respect that mm. when they've had enough information. Okay, uh, is respect for one another. Unfortunately, the government has decided not to respect the people's right to choose. They're responsible for the division in society. We can't disconnect it to last-day events. We certainly cannot. And, you know, it's a very fine line. Okay, well, I'm going to read this next, this next te- text message right here. Please don't say the government has not made it compulsory. The companies are making that decision. The insurance companies are also forcing the issue. It's a New World Order decision, connects to last day events. I could go on for hours, and I'm sure you can. Let's give the listeners a bigger picture. Okay, so I will say this. Here in Australia, no one has yet been forced. Coerced, but not forced. What I do find disturbing is how there is a them and us that is being created. Mm. Now, when I say not forced, that means that, yes, people lose their jobs, people lose their freedoms if they're not vaccinated, all that kind of stuff. I get that. So, yeah, it's a, it's a fine being, line. They're being forced. It's a fine like, line. It's a fine line. Yeah. I was, I was yeah they're not being imprisoned yet. They're not being executed yet. And the government gives you, you know, gives you the freedom to choose not to have the vaccine. But if you're going to exercise that freedom, then you lose a bunch of other freedoms. Yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, and and then it's like if you lose your job for not accepting the vaccine, then are you entitled to like JobKeeper, like Centrelink? At present, you are. Okay. 
And if you are, yeah, it's... But still, it's like... It's, it's kind of like the government going as close as they can to forcing it without forcing it. If they remove Centrelink, then that is definitely... Then it's like... Yeah. Yeah. Because you've got no options then. Like, That's it's right. like get the get the vaccine or starve and die. Yeah. At the moment, it's kind of like, well, you can choose not to get the vaccine and we will actually support you financially. With JobKeeper. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, this is a gnarly... Then it's this like, is a lose really, your career, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the Provax, Antivax thing is in our home. It's tough. I just asked the Lord to guard my mouth. Mm. And and this is a really interesting one because, you know, even in our family and members of our family, you've got people who are very, very passionately divided on this. We need to recognize that everybody who is passionate about it is passionate because they are passionate to be moral about it. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. People who are making their decisions are not making their decisions because they do not care for you. They are making those decisions because they do care for you. They're just taking a different interpretation of the science. That's right. That's what it comes down to. Mm. They are making that, de- and we need to respect that fact, and we need to respect those individuals for making the decision that they make. Anyway, let's get to our Bible study. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6. Genesis chapter 9. This is actually an interesting little bit of a uh, uh, passage here in Genesis 9 verse 6. Uh, yeah, read for us 9 verse 6. The Bible says, If anyone takes a human uh, if anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Okay, so if we put a bit of context to this, let me just back up here a little bit. Ooh, verse 4 and 5 has some interesting, um, interesting. yeah, let's read some bit, bit of context. Okay, so first, verse 4 and 5, Yeah, the Bible says, But you must never eat any meat that is still um, ha- that still has its lifeblood in it, and I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. Um and then it continues on. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God yeah. um, made human beings in his own image. Okay, so God establishes a, uh, a law of the theocracy back here. Um, and that is, you know, the death penalty for murder that it, you know, because human beings are created in the image of God. There's a couple of principles. There's a couple mm. of principles in this passage that I think is worth delving into. Let's begin with verse 4 because this is where the context begins where it says, but the flesh with the life therein, which is the blood, you shall not eat. The Bible says don't eat flesh that has blood in it. Mm. Uh, the, prince, the, the concept back in the day was they did not have the technology available to them that we have today so that they could remove all of the blood from the meat and it's impossible to move all of the blood from the meat. The idea behind this was that when you butchered an animal uh, to eat that animal that you would cut its throat and drain the blood mm. first. It wasn't that you would go through a bunch of scientific procedures uh, to remove 100% of the blood from the meat so that the meat actually goes completely white and translucent. Mm. So it's not talking about you know what we often hear referred to as kosher meat. However, let's just let's just begin by asking you know God God 
uses blood here as a symbol of life. There's a symbolic aspect to this, but there's also a medical aspect as well. Mm. Why does God say drain the blood out of the out of the meat before you eat it? Um, because it's very high possibility that you could contract a disease. Yes, yeah, so a much higher possibility because uh, diseases flow around the body in the bloodstream. So the less of that that you take into yourself, obviously the better. Yeah, that's right. And so this is 3,500 years old, but it's good advice from 3,500 years ago. You know, a few chapters further on from the same period, you're going to find where Jesus says, don't eat the fat. Mm. Why would God say don't eat the fat? Because if you eat the fat, your <laughs> arteries clog up and you die. Yeah, that's true. You know, you compare this. You know, you compare what the Bible says about health and, you know, it goes on and talks about quarantine. It goes on and talks about lockdowns, all kinds of stuff. Mm. You can hand washing. All the things that we're doing right now didn't talk about masks. But everything else we're doing right now, yeah. it talks about all of this kind of thing. You know, from 3,500 years ago, find any ancient culture that has this kind of health system. Dude, like in England, they were like, dropping their feces in the street up until like 600 years ago and dying of diseases because Actually, of it. a lot less than 600 years ago. Yeah. Wait, was it like, what, 17th century or something like that? It was a lot less than 600 years ago, unfortunately. <laughs> but th- my point is like this is... And this bi- is like the, one of the most civilised nations on earth. Yeah, and this is biblical advice as well to not do that. Yes, like, yes. Like what we're talking about here is it's just like far beyond its time. Um, the only places, the only places in the med- medieval era that ever conquered the Black Plague were those who went back to biblical principles. That's right, yeah, and actually enforced those biblical principles within their cities, mm. forced them by law. <laughs> mm. Forced, coerced. <laughs> well, yeah. well, hey, in the medieval time, you didn't get a whole lot of choice about a whole bunch of things. Freedoms mm. and liberties were didn't exist. That's right. And people didn't assume that they had them. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Because they did not exist. But, uh, yeah, there was a lot of other things that were pretty dodgy about medieval times. Um, Then you've got this really interesting verse that continues on from this. The Bible says don't eat blood, and you can see that there is a symbolic aspect to this as well because the Mm. life is in the blood. You know, if a body runs out of blood, it dies. It's that simple. Mm. And so that is, you know, the blood is a symbol of life, and it's going to go on and it's going to talk about God's creation, and it's going to talk about humans. Mm. And what is interesting is, you know, because in verse 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. And so God gives to humans, and God is drawing a very clear distinction between humans and animals in this passage. Mm. Because he gives to humans the um, the ability to be able to to. So he gives to humans the ability or the right to be able to take the life of animals if needed mm. and to use animals as food if needed. So he extends that right to humans, and this is the point at which he does so. Of course, this is in the context of uh, clean and unclean uh, animals that you have in Chapter 7. Mm. But then he goes on, he says, Surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. At the hand of man and at the hand of every man's brother will I require of the life of man. And so basically what God is saying is like he goes on and he does not, what God does not do is extend to animals the right to eat humans. Mm. 
He extends to humans the right to eat animals, but not animals the right to eat humans. Yes. And then he implies in this passage that God is going to hold us accountable for every life that we take. Mm. And that's something that is worth stopping and thinking about. Mm. Uh, Whenever we take an animal life, we ask ourselves the question, was that necessary? Or did we just do it for fun? So it uh, um, a very interesting situation that we find uh, in this particular passage right here. Okay, so then it goes on and it talks about, you know, an animal that kills a human should be killed. Yes. We still do that today. You know, if you get a, a, a dog that goes out and, you know, kills a kid or something or other, we put the dog down. Mm. You have a crocodile that goes and kills a human being. I think we had one recently, and they put the crocodile down. Mm. That's just a sensible precaution. Most animals have an aversion to killing human beings and a natural fear of human beings. Typically what happens is that it is unnatural for an animal to start killing human beings and to become what's called a man-eater. And usually there is an exceptional circumstance that will create that environment Mm. where that natural barrier that God has inbuilt into animals and humans is broken down. So in the case of dogs, you find that there are some breeds of dogs that have been bred to be very violent. Mm. And, of course, uh, you know, since dog fighting and so forth has been banned a long time ago, a lot of that has now been bred out of dogs, but occasionally it comes back. Mm. It's not natural. If you look at animals that, you know, get out of control and become man-eaters, you know, particularly if you look at the history of India, where in the past they had, you know, a large population of people, a large population of tigers and leopards. Yeah. And tigers and leopards would leave people alone unless there was an epidemic that went through and the villagers could not keep up with the number of dead that needed to be buried and so they would select a ravine and throw the bodies into a ravine and a leopard or a tiger would be wounded and unable to hunt for itself and start to eat carrion and suddenly the barrier would be broken down and then they they would find that, you know, uh, humans were actually a pretty soft target and they would start targeting humans and what would happen then is that of course, you know, the animal would have to be hunted down and shot. And you can you can read a lot of history in India of this kind of thing. Not so much in Africa, but definitely in Africa. Mm. It is unusual for animals to go out and to hunt human beings like they hunt other animals. And so you can see this, how this has come down through in nature. And then, of course, it comes down to humans. Humans are not to kill other humans. And God is drawing a differentiation here between humans and the rest of nature. We're going to come back and talk more about it this You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yes, it's interesting that he doesn't scold them for tithing those herbs. He scolds them for doing that, which he says is actually good. It's good to tithe those herbs. Mm. But then he scolds them for neglecting the bigger issues. Yeah, that's right. Mm. All right, we have a text message here up to 50 years ago. Any animal that killed a human would be killed, including sharks and crocodiles. Today they are more important than humans. Not exactly what God said. Too often we do see that happening and it frustrates me. 
But hey, there's a lot of things in our world that frustrate me. There, there is research that suggests, though, that sometimes like culling isn't the answer. Like, oh, for sure. Specifically with sharks. Like, no, culling of sharks is definitely the answer. What are you talking about? Nah, nah. Yeah, e- everywhere where they've tried it hasn't worked. Anyways, let's... Eradicate uh, them. Let's... Uh, <laughs> Nuke the oceans. <laughs> Just, <laughs> okay, let's get back to our actual Bible study here and let's focus on the message that God is trying to portray. And God, what God is doing is this, mm. is God is showing that there is a very, difference, a very large difference between humans and the animal kingdom. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, let's go back here to Genesis chapter 1 and reread this passage here. Uh, actually, let's go Genesis 2. Um, you see here 15 to 19. Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 19. 15 and 19. 15 and 19. The Bible says, The Lord placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. And then verse 19 says, So the Lord God formed man from the ground, all the wild animals and all the beasts of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. Okay, so if you've got God bringing the animals to humans Mm -hmm. for the human to choose what they are called, then what kind of a position does that place the human in in relationship to the animal kingdom? One of authority. And what kind of a position does it place the human in in relationship to God? Mm, uh, One of subjection. Yes. Yeah. So humans come between us, between God, sorry, and animals. That's right. Yeah. And so animals are a lower life form. And so then you've got Adam who is placed here in the garden to tend and to keep it. When the Bible says tend and keep it, that includes the animals. Mm. So when humans were given dominion, in fact, if we go back to uh, chapter 1 and look at here in verse 26, uh, 27, 26 and 27, 28. 28. Yes. Uh, then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Yes. It's kind of worded a little bit differently right there. Um, but in my translation, it says, And God blessed them. This is Adam and Eve. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing. Yeah. And so when, when the Bible says that humans have dominion over it, uh, when you're giving d- dominion over something, when you're giving rulership over something, does that give you the right to abuse that which you have been given rulership over? No. No, not at all. I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. I live in a house with my dad. Yes. And I have the whole top floor to myself. Nice. And if it's an absolute pigsty, like, he would get mad. Yes. Because even though it's my area... And I pay rent if it was just disgusting. He has dominion over that house. Yeah, that's right. He owns it. He owns the house. He bought it. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, that's like, you know, you're you're a custodian at that point. Someone who tends, who keeps, even if you have part ownership, because I pay rent, like, to be there. But there's still that level of hierarchy because he owns the house. That's right. No matter, like, all my stuff is there. Like, I have control over, you know, what colour I want the walls to be, you know, what lights I want to switch on, whatever. So he's giving you a lot of freedom. Yeah, but 
with those freedoms come the ultimate restriction of like it not ultimate restrictions of like it not smelling or like being (laughs) super gross or whatever it is. Yeah, because it's his house. Does your dad have the same expectations for your dog as he does for you? Um, well, no. No, the expectations go down, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Because your dad, well, he kind of has dominion over you because he owns the house. Yeah, that's right. And so he has a right to say, clean up your space. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to the dog, then the expectations are lower because the dog is, you know, the next level down again. A dog. Yes. And, and if anything, like, then the responsibility goes on to my dad as the owner of the dog. Yes. Um. And, and, and like, well, I'm, I'm not really the owner of the dog. I've kind of like taken that, that role of, of relinquishing those responsibilities of having to clean up after it because I don't own the dog, but it's kind of like, yeah, because my dad owns the dog, there's some responsibility there as well. And we see that with Adam and Eve, um, that these animals, yeah, they're not necessarily owned by them. Um, but they they tend to the and the needs of the animals um, and to the needs of the the area that they've been given the earth. Absolutely, mm. absolutely. All right, so we are radically radically different from the uh, creation and have been given the responsibility of looking after creation. Okay, so if we've been given dominion, if we've been given stewardship, if we've been given management of the world and of creation, does that mean that we then don't ever kill anything? Um, well, obviously not. We just read that a moment ago. But why does God give us permission to kill within the animal kingdom? Because of sin. Yes. Like that is like the ultimate bedrock foundation reason. Um, but, but then it's like what, because of what sin causes as well, as we mentioned before, like animals eating humans, that's like probably the first foremost reason why you'd need to get rid of an animal. But secondarily, like animals killing other animals, um, Populations of animals being destroyed by other animals. We have a lot of that in Australia. Yeah, that's right. We have an ecological disaster in Australia. And if we were to tr- follow a, a, a truly um, evolutionary perspective, we would never worry about that. Yeah, that's it right. It would never be any concern whatsoever at all about feral invasive species. Mm. We would say this is a natural process of evolution that's been happening for billions of years. Species get wiped out. We have a lot less species now than what we used to have in the past. And so let it happen because it will actually make the world a better place. But we recognize it is not making the world a better place. It is making the world a worse place. And so because of that, we're like, no, we need to manage this. Mm. We need to, we need to ensure that these populations survive. We need to, you know, spread as much 10, 80 poison out there as we can to get rid of foxes and cats. That's what humans do. Yeah. Why do we do that? Because somewhere in our subconscious, we know that we are made in the image of God and have been given dominion, have been given stewardship, have been given management of our planet. Mm. And somewhere along the line, we actually do care for our planet and we don't just sit back and let nature take its course and evolution happen. If we really believed in evolution, that would be the most moral thing to do. Mm. But we kind of don't. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We came up with answers. That's right. And right now it is time for question of the day. 
right, our question of the day comes from Freco, and it's essentially this. Why did God appease Satan's charge against him, his accusation, rather than prote- protect the life of Job in the story of Job? Yeah, it's a really good question right here, and it's one of those... Um, I- I'm actually pleased to answer this question. Mm. I just want to say at the very beginning that Sometimes when people send their questions through for question of the day, we don't always get to it straight away, and that's because mm. we've got a backlog. But stay tuned because we will get to your question. There has never been a question yet that we have not got to. Mm. So do send your questions through. Uh, we do have a few more in our list, but we are definitely needing more to fill up our log of questions of the day. Okay, so why does God seem to favor Satan more than Job in Job chapter 1 and 2, in fact, the entire book of Job? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, for the sake of time, we're going to run through the story. We're going to answer the question. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and read Job chapter 1 and maybe two, but particularly Job chapter 1 for homework because we're not going to take time to read the whole thing right now. So let me summarize it for you. There's a righteous man. He's a very wealthy man. He loves God. He serves God. He is possibly the most wealthy man on the earth at this particular time. He's like the Bill Gates of the ancient world. His name is Job. God has a count called the council in heaven for whatever reason, and you've got the sons of God, you know, the the children of God from you know from around the universe, the representatives of the universe essentially who turn up at this particular council, and Satan turns up there amongst them. Now, why would Satan do that? Well, it's not like Adam, the representative of our race, can go there because Adam is dead. Adam can't go to this council, so Satan turns up at the council and Satan's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to that council. I'm gonna, I'm gonna represent my planet. I'm gonna represent planet Earth. And God sees Satan there and God's like, huh, Satan, what are you doing here? Where'd you come from? He's like, from walking up and down the earth and from going to and from it. In other words, Satan's saying, look, this is my dominion. I've come from the earth. I am here as a representative of planet Earth. And so then God disputes that claim by Satan. And God's like, okay, do you represent everyone on Earth? You know, seriously? Do you represent the whole? Do you you think you represent planet Earth? What about Job? Are you Job's representative? You're not Job's representative. I am. Mm. This is essentially what God is saying. And so Satan replies and, 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 and Satan says to God, the only reason that Job serves you is because you give him stuff. You're his sugar daddy, and the only reason he serves you is because you give him stuff. Now, Satan makes this accusation in front of the assembled multitudes of the universe. Mm. They are all watching. At this particular point, God could say, I love Job more than I love you, so Satan, be gone. And Satan would have to be gone. If he did so, he would have confirmed Satan's accusation that the only reason that Job served God was because God gave Job stuff Mm. and that love was actually a fraud. And so then you would have the representatives of the universe going back to the rest of the universe and they would have a message to carry. Love is a fraud. God's not prepared to even answer the most basic accusation that Satan can put forward. God has no answer for this. And what that would cause would be Satan's rebellion would spread. So what's at stake here is the allegiance of the universe. This is not about Job. This is about the universe, and this is what you need to understand about the book of Job. It's not about Job. It's about the allegiance of the universe. Now, when all of these terrible things happen to Job, does he see what's happening in heaven? 
No. Does he understand how big the stakes are? I mean, the stakes here are massive. The stakes are everything. The government of God itself is at stake in this situation. Mm. And so what does God do? God's like, no, love is not a fraud. Love is a real thing. Love exists. And Job serves me because he loves me. Well, how is that? How is Satan's how is Satan's question then going to be answered? So God says, "All right, this is what you have permission to do. You have the permission to take his possessions and his family. You just can't take him. Obviously, not going to prove any point if he goes down there and kills Job. Mm. And so, what happens then? Satan comes down. He does just exactly that. Takes his family. Takes his possessions. But Job stays faithful. And when Job stays faithful, it proves that God is love, and it answers Satan's accusation." Mm. Very powerful story that you've got right there. This was this was God favoring the universe and favoring love, and in the long term, favoring Job over Satan. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.